He kōna e pūrangi tēnei nā te reo irirangi o Aotearoa. Kia ora tato and welcome to Insight. I'm Philippa Tolley. With the excesses of the Christmas season upon us and the promise of a new year, new you, just around the corner, this week we take a look at the science behind the popular and controversial keto diet. Many people claim the diet is a lifesaver, including this chef who says he's reversed his type 2 diabetes with a keto diet. In March, the HbA1c was 61, um, and in June, three months later, it was down to 33, which anything under 40 is considered non-diabetic, so essentially I was in remission. And these parents who've turned around their son's life-threatening epilepsy. He's a changed boy. He's seizure-free because of the diet. And then there are those looking for a quick fix using keto. When someone sits down with you for the first time and they say... I want to go on keto, what's your first sort of thought? Why? Why do you want to go on keto? And from there, that's the conversation that starts. Well, my aunt did this. She lost this. I've got a wedding coming up, and I want to look really good at the wedding. But what evidence is there to back up the claims over the effectiveness of this diet? Insights reporter Teresa Cowie speaks to medical experts, fitness coaches and visits the kitchen of an online food delivery company to find out if this super restrictive diet is a trend or a medical treatment. What is the keto diet and what kind of rearrangement of your lifestyle and your fridge does it require? Remember that faded poster of the food pyramid? that was hanging in your home economics class? Grab it off the wall, turn it upside down, maybe add an extra section for nuts and berries. Okay, hang on, I'm getting a bit confused and hungry. Here's a more easily digestible answer. People who are on the ketogenic diet are most likely eating 5% of their diet as carbohydrates, 25% protein and 70% fat. It's been around under different names since the 1920s, and it's called the keto, or ketogenic diet, because it makes ketones in the body. When you drastically drop the carbs you're taking in and replace them with fat, the body burns fat instead, putting it in a state known as ketosis. This state raises the level of ketones, chemicals made in your liver. But how easy is it to cook keto? In Auckland, this chef is catering to the masses through his online food delivery company, Keto Canteen, and also caring for his own health after getting the diagnosis he was diabetic. So here we have our curry that we've already portioned up, full of tofu and ready to go. We've also got our cauliflower rice. um, Another order ready and waiting to be taken by Scooter to a customer wanting convenient keto takeaways. Andy Myers owns a catering company that usually takes him off to film locations and events. But being diagnosed with diabetes has brought major change to his business and his diet. And it hasn't been easy. What was it like? Just take yourself back to that moment and that day when the doctor sat you down and told you that. Uh, it was horrible, really. It was, you know, it was one of those things I think that I definitely knew in my back of my mind that it was going to happen, but all of a sudden I have to go and, and tell my wife about it, you know, and it's straight away it's a, a feeling of embarrassment, really. It's got a stigma about diabetes, especially type 2 diabetes. It's, immediately I was embarrassed, even to tell my wife, you know, but I had to do it straight away. And I was sad, I was gutted, you know. I think um, 
It's, and then even more so when that night you go home and, and read about it and all of a sudden just read about what can happen to you with the disease and think, holy dooly, it's such a, it can be such a life sentence. It was at that point he decided he wanted to give keto a go. But it took a lot of figuring out, measuring and tracking macros, the carbs, fat and protein he was putting into his body. I didn't know anything about macros and people tracking macros or the keto diet or anything like that. We dealt with the keto diet with catering before, but we usually just get by on the fact that there's something on the table that people can eat. And, and I was always scoffing people that were on keto. It was always, you know, it's the same with in our line of work, you know, that we, we get used to people being gluten-free, um, but then come pudding day, they're all into the sticky date pudding like no man's business. So, you know, we, we are cynical in a way of, of diets being in the catering industry. So I started my own research about what to do. I, I think I signed up an app straight away that you can track all your food that you eat. And I began entering every single bit of food, drink, everything that I ate and drank for the day. And I did that for three months solid, every single thing. So. What was that like for you having to sort of go against your natural catering instincts and get on board with a very restrictive sort of a diet? I think it was really restrictive as well. I think your initial approach was to go as strict as possible. Um, and I kind of found it easy in a way in the fact that it was such a shock having the diabetes that I managed then to be able to cope with the strictness. And I was probably really enthusiastic about learning about keto, which gave me something to focus on. And it appears it's paid off. Andy's medical notes now show he's in remission. So this is a letter from the Auckland diabetes nurse that I had seen. It says here that my HbA1c, which is blood glucose levels, which is measured on an average across three months. The very end of February when I was first diagnosed was 61 mmol, which is the, the scale. And in June, uh, when I, the, the three months were up, um, I'd halved that figure just about to 33. Um, now, anything over 50 is classed as being diabetic. Anything between 40 and 50 is pre-diabetic, and anything under 40 is just normal range. So I hadn't managed to halve those figures to be in a point where it wasn't classed as being diabetic. Andy's had success with keto. He's even expanding his business with it, but... Is it just a question of calorie restriction and careful eating, or does the keto diet actually work? What's the proof? Does it work for everybody? And is there anything in the claims that it's a miracle weight loss regime or that it can cure epilepsy? I've invited two of New Zealand's leading experts in epilepsy and diabetes, Professors Lynette Sadlier and Jeremy Krebs, to our studios to find out what the evidence is. Both doctors are specialists at Wellington Hospital. They also lead research teams at the Otago University Medical School. Professor Sadlier is a paediatric neurologist who works with children who have epilepsy and refers some patients for treatment with the ketogenic diet. Professor Krebs is an endocrinologist who's done extensive research into diet and diabetes. We've just heard from Andy, who's using the keto diet to manage diabetes. So first, Professor Krebs, what's currently known about whether the keto diet works for diabetes? Uh, well, it's a very interesting area, and it's very controversial, as uh, I'm sure you un understand, both within uh, clinicians and uh, researchers, but also out there in the lay um, population as well. 
And um, I think we should come back to firstly congratulating Andy on his wonderful success in reversing his diabetes because not everybody can do that. The thing with diabetes, and I think it's important to, to understand what causes it in the first place, to understand where diet might come in and how particular diets might have their own um, ways of, of working. Uh, so type 2 diabetes is a problem that arises when the body becomes resistant to the action of the hormone insulin. And insulin, as many people will know, is made in the pancreas in our body. And to have diabetes, you have to have both problems. So it's not only just your body being resistant to the action of insulin, but actually your pancreas starts to fail on you and not make enough insulin to overcome that uh, insulin resistance. So when we're thinking about diets to manage diabetes, what we're looking for really is a diet that might help both sides of that equation. And insulin resistance is uh, caused by us putting on weight, gaining fat really in our body, and that causes uh, the body to not use insulin properly. So any diet which might help us to reduce fat stores or actual total weight is going to help with diabetes. On the other side of the equation is where the pancreas comes in and uh, the release and production of insulin. So anything in our diet which might reduce the demand on our pancreas to make uh, insulin is also going to be helpful from a diabetes perspective. So that's where I think some of the differences between the types of diets that we hear about uh, become relevant. And uh, what you're alluding to here is the keto diet. And, of course, for those who don't know, the keto diet really, it's not a new diet. It's been around for a long time with a whole lot of different uh, names attached to it, but that's the popular name at the moment. And the essence of the keto diet is uh, cutting out carbohydrate uh, from the food that we eat. And carbohydrate is the predominant type of macronutrient uh, that stimulates insulin release from the pancreas. So you can immediately see... Uh, that actually if you reduce carbohydrate in your diet, that you're reducing the demand on your own pancreas to produce insulin and therefore it can help with diabetes. So do we know that this diet specifically is helping people with diabetes or was it really that he's just losing body fat, do you think? That's where the controversy comes in. And on one side of the equation you have people who uh, absolutely fundamentally believe that the answer is purely and simply about total energy intake and about fat mass and reducing fat mass and reducing weight. And on the other side of the equation, you have people who believe that there's something magical or special about ketones, or ketones, should I say, in the ketone diet. And the truth is, I don't think the evidence uh, is really strong enough to tell us that answer. Uh, there's been quite a bit of work done uh, with it now, uh, but most of the studies that have been done have been very short term. Uh, and in very small numbers of people and in very highly controlled situations. So I don't think we yet have adequate evidence to be able to answer the very question that you're asking. I think what we can say is that anecdotally we have people like Andy who have done it and have had great success with it. And probably what the more important question is, is whether or not by him doing that he's actually placing himself at any harm uh, by by using the keto approach. Mm, yes, because you could say, it, yes, it's working for him, no harm done, but there are a couple of um, pretty major snags with the diet, and one would be that people on the diet need to eat a lot of fat, don't they? So in Andy's kitchen, I saw him lavishing his food with oils. Um, he makes something called a fat bomb, which is a dessert he makes out of coconut oil, peanut butter, and dark chocolate, and um, people use these to get their fat intake up for the day. Um, which seems to really go against everything we've been told about good nutrition in recent decades. So how safe 
is it to eat so much fat as part of the keto diet? Good question, and I don't, again, think we have the evidence to really answer that just yet. Uh, I think what we can certainly say is that there is plenty of evidence uh, that high levels of saturated fat, so that's predominantly animal fat, uh, in our diet or trans fats in our diet are harmful from a cardiovascular uh, perspective. We also know on the other side of the macro equation uh, that things like fibre, which are of course integral to carbohydrate, are very important for our health as well. And so by reducing fibre and increasing saturated fat, there is the potential for harm. What I can say is that in some of our own research, uh, where we took a group of people with type 2 diabetes and used a very similar dietary approach, and at that time it was called the Atkins diet, but of course it's the same thing. Uh, And the question that we had was, after six months of doing this, would we see an adverse effect on the lipid profile, cholesterol levels, which of course linked in with uh, dietary fat intake? And to my surprise, in fact, we didn't see that at all. Uh, So for those individuals who were able to lose weight using this dietary approach, it didn't have the same adverse effects that we were expecting. However, in the one or two people in the study who weren't able to lose weight, it did have those negative effects. And so when you're talking about this at a population level, that's where the concern is. Those people who are successful in using the diet to facilitate weight loss don't have the negative effects, whereas I think the risk is still there for those people who try it and simply go out and eat, you know, all these fat bombs and and never actually lose the weight that they're aiming to, to lose in the first place. And that could have quite a negative effect on their health overall. Mm. And there is a real reduction in fibre with this diet as well. The diet eliminates grains and most legumes. What are the risks there? Well, quite apart from the fact that fibre is very important from normal bowel health, and uh, any of um, (coughs) you who have had uh, low fibre diets will know the challenges that uh, uh, has on a (laughs) Mm -hmm. daily basis. Um, But fibre has its own really important functions, both in terms of micronutrients that we get from our food Uh, but also in terms of effects on uh, cardiovascular risk and on diabetes risk as well. So it's quite an interesting balance uh, between the two sides of the equation here. Mm, Okay, and it is a very strict diet, uh, fraught with difficulty. Um, Eating out looks like it's near impossible if you're really trying to do it properly. So how realistic is it for someone to stick with it? Again, that's um, from a from an evidence point of view. That's where we we lack uh, information. Uh, the studies that have been done so far have been short term, so usually twelve weeks, twenty four weeks. There've been one or two studies going out to a year, and people generally, as we've heard from Andy. He really applied himself. He had a huge motivation uh, to do this in the first place. He paid a lot of attention to what he was doing, and he was very successful in doing that. And most of us, I think, if we really apply ourselves to any dietary approach, it doesn't really matter what it is, if the motivation is strong enough, we can achieve that in the short term. Uh, But the problems, as you're alluding to, are after 12 months, gosh, that bacon uh, in the morning is all of a sudden not quite as attractive as it sounds to us right now. Uh, And so sticking to uh, such a restricted diet in the long term uh, is very difficult. One family that's stuck with it is the Palettis from Parimata in Wellington, who struggled for years with their eldest son's epilepsy. I'm Oliver and I've been on the ketogenic diet for four years and I'm now seizure free. 
Oliver was diagnosed with epilepsy when he was six and he's been on a ketogenic diet called the modified Atkins since he was nine and a half. In an effort to help Oliver stick with it, his parents Linda and Manu have been doing the diet too. The fridge is the centre of the ketogenic diet. Everything goes in the fridge. Everything's fresh. We have quite a selection of meat that we usually buy each week and we usually cycle through at least, as you can see, it's... uh, Manu is chief cook and food inventory manager and he seems to enjoy the task of doing all the mental calculations to get the carbs, fats and proteins in the pan in balance. Today's meal is bolognese and he's modified the weekday evening meal staple for keto by adding a big dollop of coconut oil on top of the meat sauce. Instead of pasta, the meat will sit on a bed of zoodles, veggie noodles Manu's made by thinly slicing zucchini in his spiralizer machine. From what I've seen in the Paletti's kitchen, doing keto means having to be very organised. The fridge needs regular restocking with fresh meat, dairy and vegetables, and you need to be able to calculate fast the macronutrients of what's going in the pot. So why did they decide to upend the food pyramid and their kitchen routine instead of sticking with conventional treatments? We trialled, thinking back, at six medications without Oliver becoming seizure-free. That's not simple. Uh, with AEDs, anti-epileptic drugs, the wean-on and the wean-off of the medication is very slow, takes months. Uh, with Oliver, quite a number of side effects every time we altered the med, even a little bit. It was quite a journey. What sort of side effects? Uh, Behavioural, climbing the walls, uh, sleepy drowsiness, um, unable to function in the classroom, couldn't think, couldn't focus. Before doing keto, Linda, Manu and Oliver's teachers had to be on constant watch to keep him safe. Imagine the level of attentiveness you need to have when you're watching a toddler near water. This is how closely Oliver had to be supervised, and it was exhausting. At the worst times, um, he was having hundreds of seizures a day. They're absent seizures, so they're moments where he's just not conscious, if you like, um, 10, 20 seconds. And they were continuous all day, every day. And then when he started the diet, uh, it took six months before we saw a reduction in the seizures. But it was almost instantaneous after that six months. And what was your expectation when you started the diet, having tried so many different medications and gone through a lot, I imagine? Um, for me, it was I was going to try anything and everything that was available to us. That was my mission. And it's worked. He's changed. He's a changed boy. He's seizure-free. Um, his lifestyle has improved and he's a lot more independent because of the diet. That was the key for him. And what's the change been for your family as a whole as well? Life-changing for us as a family. We don't have to monitor Oliver. His younger brother doesn't have to look out for him all the time. He's seizure-free. He's, he's a normal, happy, healthy child. I'm Teresa Cowie, and you're listening to an RNZ Insight programme about the keto diet. Is it a trend or a treatment? Professor Sadia, now that Oliver is seizure-free, the plan is to wean him off the diet slowly. If it works, does that mean he's been cured by the ketogenic diet? No. Uh, So you don't really cure epilepsy. 
Um, mm. And I think what's important to realize is epilepsy, we talk about epilepsy as a single disease, but it's a group of disorders. And uh, we call the disorders epilepsy syndromes. And the syndromes are defined based on the age of onset of seizures, what kind of seizures the individual has, the impact on their behavior and their intellect, what we find on the EEG and what we see on the MRI and in their, also in their neurological examination. So all of these factors together help us diagnose specific epilepsy syndromes. So some epilepsies, they come on in childhood and eventually children will outgrow them before they get to adulthood. Other epilepsies are fairly lifelong. So our treatments for epilepsy, which um, we call anti-epileptic drugs or AEDs and uh, the ketogenic diet, uh, they don't cure epilepsy. What they do is they stop the seizures and they stop the seizures um, really effectively. uh, And some of the individuals will have outgrown their epilepsy. So eventually we wean off the drug or off the diet and they will no longer have seizures. But what you're doing with our treatments is you're stopping the seizures when they're occurring in a person's life, but you don't cure epilepsy. How does the ketogenic diet stop seizures then? Yes, the ketogenic diet. So I'm happy to say, unlike uh, Professor Krebs, uh, there's lots (laughs) of fantastic evidence in terms Mm -hmm. of the ketogenic diet. The ketogenic diet is a fantastic treatment for epilepsy. There is high-level research and lots of it that shows that the ketogenic diet in children, particularly, it also works in adults, but not to the same extent, and in specific epilepsy syndromes. So it it doesn't work for all types of epilepsy, but particular epilepsy syndromes, um, about 50% of children who are not responding to a drug uh, will become seizure-free when they go on the ketogenic diet, and about 80% of them will have a reasonable seizure reduction. Mm -hmm. So it works. So how much support, I mean, there's a lot more evidence, obviously, so how much support is there for hospitals and for families to be educated about this diet? It's incredibly tricky to do. Yeah, okay, so that's another point, I think. There is major health inequalities within New Zealand as to who has access to ketogenic diet for epilepsy. And and it's a tragedy, really, because this is a uh, robust, well-researched, uh, standardised therapy for epilepsy. It is works really well in, in individuals who nothing else will stop their seizures. And in most first world countries, people have access to it. In this country, they don't have access to it everywhere, the children. It depends on where you live in the country, whether or not your DHB will supply it. So at the present time, individuals in Auckland have access, individuals in Christchurch have access, and there is really very limited, if any, access anywhere else. In Wellington, we're allowed to have two children on the ketogenic diet at any one time. That's it. It is really, you know, it's it's shocking that a standard therapy like that is just not available. And these children go on having seizures when there is something that could be done. And the problem is, is that we don't, it, it, it requires dietitian support and it requires a reasonable amount of dietitian support. Um, you cannot just decide you want to go on the ketogenic diet, not from an epilepsy perspective on your own. You need a dietitian, you need help. And I think of the ketogenic diet the same way I think of as a drug. It is, it, I mean, it's not a drug in the sense that you take it in your mouth in a pill. But it, is, it works like a drug. And so, yes, it's effective, but it also has side effects. Like, you know, so it's great for Oliver that he, so he unfortunately had side effects from the medications that we gave him. Um, and he didn't have so many side effects from the ketogenic diet. But actually, you're just as likely to get side effects from the ketogenic diet as you are from a drug.
almost half the people that go on it will have some form of side effects. And that tends to be a lot of gastro side effects. So nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, but mainly constipation. There's a lot of constipation. It impacts on growth because it's calorie restricted. So sometimes, despite the fact that, you know, we have dietitian support and we're doing lots of monitoring in terms of growth, it's hard to get the kids to grow. But it's not a diet that we hope that somebody's going to be on long term. To Professor Sadlier, the diet is difficult, potentially damaging, and really more of a medical treatment. But keto is also attracting the attention of people who might have read about it in a magazine or in social media and want to give it a go to lose some weight. My name is Lou Draper. I am a personal trainer and a food coach. And what that means is I help people figure out what food to eat that's good for them and get people off the couch. Lou Draper runs Sweetie Pals, a fitness and nutrition consultancy in Wellington. And guess which diet everyone's asking her about. I'd probably say 50% of the people who come to me would be wanting to have a go with keto. Lou tries to take an holistic approach, getting people on the path to a healthier life. Today, we're out doing one of her Wellington waterfront walks. It's a nice, easy inroad she uses to get people started on a healthier way. Lou isn't into extremes, and she's weary of diets that are hard to stick to once the initial buzz of a New Year's resolution or health epiphany fades. When a client asks about keto, she's happy to coach them if it's something that might work for them. But before she does that, she likes to dig deeper into why they want keto. And when you start to delve into those questions of why, then it's easier to be able to figure out what people actually need to do. Should they actually just be moving a little bit more? Is their food intake actually pretty good and really healthy, but it's just that exercise needs to add into the, into the mix, you know? So. so they're looking for a quick fix often? Well, they've got a goal in mind, like a, a wedding or an event? Mm, usually, usually. It's an event or some reason why. Christmas party season, oh my goodness. I want to be this size, I want to look this size. You know, and it's, it's bizarre to me because, especially for Christmas parties, because people already know what you look like and how much space you take up. So wh- why? Why would you want to suddenly change yourself in three weeks because you've got a Christmas party coming up? Summer is peak season for keto. She says brides and grooms who are shedding for the wedding come to her for guidance. And then there's the New Year's rush of interest in dieting, righting the wrongs of festive indulgences. What are you expecting come, you know, the 3rd of January? Um, will your phone start ringing with people talking keto? Yeah, yeah, I can almost predict there will be an influx first week of January, once people are back from that initial holiday if they've taken one, yeah that New Year's has got a lot to answer for And what about our experts? Would they use the keto diet to drop some Christmas kilos? The ketogenic diet that I'm talking about? No, you don't want to be on that diet unless you really have to be (laughs) (laughs) So you're not going to be doing that on January 2nd? Absolutely not (laughs) (laughs) Okay, Jeremy and yourself? Picking that one up after um, after overeating at Christmas, um, I think uh, I'd, I'd struggle uh, to be honest. Uh, um, personally, whilst I might consider it, uh, I don't think I could because, frankly, I like my carbohydrate too much. <laughs> <laughs>
That programme was written and presented by Teresa Cowie. If you'd like to podcast other Insight programmes by Teresa, such as Why the Future of Dairy is Scary or Schools Banning Mobile Phones, you can head to the Insight page on the RNZ website, Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Philip Atoli and that's all from Insight for today. Lovely to have you with us and do join us again next time.